Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week four of our study of the book of James, and today we are going to go through chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. But before we begin, I feel that I have done us all a disservice by not petitioning to the Lord prior to going through this. While I do get my heart and my mind mentally and spiritually prepared before I start recording, we are all involved in this study. Therefore, I think it's appropriate to go to the Lord first as a group before we go into the study today, as well as all the future ones. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this beautiful day that you have created for us. We thank you for the fresh mercies that you have given us and your fresh grace, which is renewed for us every morning. Lord, we don't deserve such honor and such grace. We don't deserve your active involvement in our lives. We don't deserve the blessings that we take for granted so often. And Lord, we are certainly not deserving because we are not consistent in following you. We are not consistent in being obedient to you. We thank you, Lord, for the book of James, which is a sobering experience for us in showing us how we are to behave as Christians and to remind us what is at stake here. And I ask you, Lord, that as we go through this section of Scripture today, help us to be obedient doers of the Word. Help us to be people that are salt and light all day and all night long, within and without. Please guide us into your Scripture today and allow your Holy Spirit to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's go through the Scripture for today. Beginning in verse 19, James chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. I don't think it will be that much of a surprise to you, but when I prayed this morning, I prayed that we would be consistent people in the word of God. And that was more personal than anything else. Perhaps this is the most important piece of James for me, as a believer, simply because I am not always consistent in how I respond to God's Word, the reverence that I give it, and how obedient I am to it, and how obedient I am towards everything it says. So I think this is an important thing that we as Christians need to understand and consider today in our walk with God. All of us are in different stages of our development. Some are 
young Christians, some are mature Christians, some are old, some are young in age. And yet, despite those differences between us, there is one thing that we have in common. We have the Spirit of God within us, if we are truly born again. But not only that, but when we wake up in the morning, we make a decision to either choose to follow Christ, or we choose not to. And so this is an important piece of Scripture that reminds us of what it means to actually be a Christian. It is not just an honorary title for those who have received the Holy Spirit. It is a command to be a Christian. So after multiple verses of James describing how we are to endure trials, we are to expect trials, and how we are to persevere through them, then he leads us to the day-to-day stuff. He leads us to the routine and decisions that we make in our lives. This is more behavioral than anything else, and this is an excellent look at how we are to be and a good evaluation of ourselves. So verse 19 says that we are to be three different things. We are called to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So what is James asking us to do here? So let's look at the first one, being quick to hear. What exactly does that mean, to be quick to hear? Well, there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? Have you ever heard someone but not really listened to them? I can think of many times that my poor wife has been heard by me, but I wasn't exactly listening to her. And that's not fair, right? That's not fair to someone who is either pouring out their emotions to you or trying to give you detailed descriptions of things, trying to share of themselves, and you're not really dialed in. We're not really tuned in to what they're saying. You hear them, but you're ready for them to stop talking, or you're not interested in the topic, or you disagree with what's being said, or you're distracted with something else, whether intentionally or not. And we all know someone in our lives that we do that to. But is that fair to that other person? To only give them a small piece of who you are? Obviously, the answer is no in that regard. But this is what James is calling us to do. He's calling us to be quick to hear. Hear what? Well, you're going to see that all of this section is about the Word. It's about the Word of God. And so in this regard, he's talking about being quick to hear God's Word. Being quick to hear what the Holy Spirit is commanding and convicting us in our hearts. We are to be quick to listen to our Christ. So if we are the ones that are supposed to be listening and hearing, what does that mean we have to do less of? We have to do less speaking. Because if we are the ones talking, how are we actually listening? Let me give you an example. Let's think about our prayer lives for a minute. If we even have one, which is a whole different topic, right? But if we are to have a healthy prayer life, prayer should not look like a monologue from you to God on all of your complaints, all your concerns, all your anxieties, all your stresses, and you leave no time for God to respond. 
It is not just a laundry list of complaints to God, isn't it? As we have seen throughout the entirety of Scripture, prayer is a conversation between two parties who are both actively involved in the conversation. So often we see that in the Old Testament, right? We see God being spoken to by a man, but then God responds. Now, how can God respond to us today if we don't give him the opportunity to speak? But instead, we close our eyes and we start speaking our complaints, but we even close our ears to God's word. Not only from the Bible being God's word, but also God's active word that he wants to say to you today. Therefore, if we are quick to dismiss God and not listen to him, what is that going to rob us of? Well, that's going to rob us of a lot of things, isn't it? It's going to rob us of blessings. It's going to rob us of instruction. It's going to rob us of wisdom. It's going to rob us of peace, because we are not honoring God properly. Remember the dynamic that is between us and God. It is a master-servant dynamic. We do not just simply tell our boss what to do, right? If you're at the office, you're at work, you don't just tell your boss what to do. If you're in the military, you don't just tell your commanding officer what you're going to do and not listen to what they're saying. So why do we do that with God? Why is it that we think it's okay to just list our complaints and tell God what we need done in our lives, and then we don't want to hear the response from him? either out of ignorance, or we're afraid to hear his response, we're afraid to maybe be rejected in him saying no to us. Regardless of what it is, it is never okay to just dismiss what God may have to say to you. Therefore, we are called to be quick to hear, and that requires us to be slow to speak. Not only should we be wise in how we use our words to other people, so that we don't act impulsively, say something we regret, say something absent-mindedly. But this is more geared towards the Word of God, more than how we deal with each other. Do not immediately insert yourself when it comes to the Word of God, because we often come with biases, or we come with contemporary issues, or the anxieties of the day that cloud our judgment and cloud our ability to see what God has for us in his word. So we need to be quick to hear what God has to say, not only in scripture, but in prayer, which requires us to be slow to speak. We need to shut our mouths and listen more. And then it says that we are to be slow to anger. Now, if this is in light of God's word, how are we quick to be angry at God's word? Have you ever had a disagreement with God? Have you ever had a struggle to understand something and an idea in God's Word that you wrestle with? Those things will happen, and that's natural. We shouldn't be discouraged by that. But ultimately, we can't conclude with God being wrong or with us saying, you know what, I don't want to do that. Lord, I appreciate and respect what you're saying, I'm simply just not going to do that. We can't reach that conclusion at any time. But perhaps you're looking at God's word and seeing the cost. Perhaps you are seeing what you have to sacrifice 
in order to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And that's hard. Trust me, I know how hard that is. I've given up a lot of things, and I struggle with addictions all the time. Not of a physical substance, but of an emotional or mental substance. And so there are those days where I feel weak. Lord, why is it that I can't play video games? Or why is it that I can't do this? Or, Lord, why do you make ice cream so delicious, and yet I'm overweight? And vegetables simply just don't compare. You know, we get angry about these little things because we just can't have our way all the time. And so in that respect, we can show anger to God's word. But we should be slow to be angry. Because through God's word, as we have seen, this is how he instructs us. This is how we learn who he is and how we are to conduct ourselves. And ultimately, how we are to conduct ourselves in the presence of our Lord. So we are to be slow to anger. We are to be people of patience, people of long-suffering, people of listening to what God is really saying, rather than jumping to conclusions. Now, is all anger sinful? No, it is not, right? There is a good kind of anger, in a sense. Jesus got angry in Scripture. And what did he get angry about? He got angry about God's word being defiled, or God's commandments being defiled. Think about when he went to the temple. There are two times in the Scriptures where it shows that he went to the temple and he cleaned house. He actually made a whip out of cords and was whipping it at people. It doesn't say he was actually hitting them with it, but he was scaring them with it. Flipping tables over, releasing birds out of cages. Because the temple, the house that had his name on it, was being defiled as a marketplace. And was also being practiced by people who were being dishonest merchants. So he was angry about that. And that is a good anger to have. We should be angry when God's word is defiled. When we think about all the evil things going on in the world, like abortion is one big one for me, we should be angry about that because God's word is being defiled. God's word says specifically that life is sacred and life should be protected. Little babies who aren't even born yet should be defended because they can't take care of themselves. So that is something definitely we should be upset about when it's being dishonored and when it's being defiled. So the Word of God requires us to do the same thing. We are to defend what God is angry about himself, but also we should not be angry at God's Word. And I'm glad verse 20 is there, because verse 20 clarifies what kind of anger is not good for us. It says in verse 20 that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So what kind of anger does achieve the righteousness of God? The anger of God achieves the righteousness of God, right? Wouldn't you say that is correct? Wouldn't you say that when God is angry at something, that it is something that is against his holiness, something that is against glorifying him? Therefore, we should be angry about those things too, and we should work towards abolishing those things or defending what is right. But let's be honest with ourselves. 
How often could we classify the anger that we have as human beings as righteous anger? I would venture to say maybe 99% of the anger that we have is not righteous anger. It is usually an anger of pride or an anger of inconvenience, an anger of disagreement, or many other things that we get angry about. So none of those things achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, we are not to be people who are defined by anger. We're to be people of peace. We're to be people of patience, people of self-control, so that we can demonstrate these qualities, being quick to hear, being slow to speak, and being slow to anger. Verse 21 leads us into the next step of the progression. It starts with saying, therefore. So he's referring to what he has already just said. Ergo, what he has said in verses 19 and 20. Considering that we have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, we are to put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now, those seem at a glance to be almost the same thing, just in a different word, right? But if you look at it in the original Greek, what he is saying here is we are to put aside all external defilements, every defilement that is outside of us, and then we are to get rid of everything that remains of wickedness, and the wickedness is within us. It is internal. So what does this mean? What is he asking us to do here? Throughout the entirety of Scripture, God has called us to be people who are undefiled in our very nature. We are sinners. We are of a corrupted nature from birth. And so often, the Bible calls that wickedness, the evil that is within us. We all have it. No one is purified of that completely. But the more that you become a child of God, the more mature you are as being a Christian, and the more consistently you stay in God's presence, that wickedness begins to diminish within us, and we demonstrate godly behavior. It's never completely gone. There will always be those temptations and all those and nasty thoughts that will come into our head from time to time. But we are to put away all wickedness that is within us. In other words, to discard it, to throw it away to put it aside, like it doesn't affect us anymore. Being born again as a Christian, some of that wickedness has been dissipated and has been conquered by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the anchor of our souls, and so often he keeps us in check. But sometimes he does not simply defend us from a certain thing, and he allows us to feel whatever it is we're feeling, and gives us the space to respond, to not only gauge ourselves through these trials, but to teach us something. So we are to get rid of the wickedness that is within us, but it's a lot harder to be pure in God's Word when we are filling our heads with external filthiness, right? If we're watching all sorts of stuff on TV that we shouldn't be watching, when we're spending our time doing what we want to do instead of spending time in God's Word. We're choosing to please ourselves rather than pray. We're not taking care of our bodies. We're 
looking at the opposite sex in ways we're not supposed to, where reading things we're not supposed to, the sky's the limit on that. But only you know what in your life, in your heart of hearts, you should get rid of. But if there are those things in your lives that are dragging you down from walking a righteous life, we need to consider discarding those things. That's why it says to put them aside, to throw them away, to trash them. And that's what we need to do. And you won't have victory until you do. And I hope we understand that. Being a Christian is not like being at Burger King. At Burger King, you can have it your way. But when it comes to Christianity, Jesus Christ has his way, not you. You were bought for a price, not the other way around. Therefore, you are enslaved to God. Slaves don't have wills of their own. They do the bidding of their master. And that is the reality of our situation, and we fight that so often, don't we? But the reality is that we are slaves to God, and we are to do what He wants, not what we want. And His way is infinitely better, if we really understand that. So what are we supposed to do then? This is why James gives us verse 21. So we are to put aside all filthiness, all the external things that are dragging us down, and anything that is within our hearts that is still wicked. We need to discard those feelings and discard those things that are causing us to struggle in that regard. And then, what does it say we're supposed to do? In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Humility is the same as humbleness. It is the opposite of pride and arrogance. This is an act of submission. This is an act of surrender to our master. So understanding that we are not at the top of the food chain, we recognize we are not the most important person in our lives anymore. We are to act in submission to the word implanted. That's an interesting word here. Why is the word implanted? For something to be implanted is something was to be surgically added to you. That is what it's literally saying in the Greek here. Something that was surgically added to you. And what was that? The Word. And what Word is that? It is something that is able to save your souls. And what was it that saved your soul? The Gospel, right? That is what is being referenced here. God's Word, through the Gospel, is what has been implanted into you. The seed of the Gospel was given to you somewhere, somehow, and you responded to it, and the Holy Spirit regenerated you and made you into a Christian. That is what has been able to save your soul. Therefore, we are to submit to the Word. We are to submit to the Gospel, and we are to live in light of it. So this is how we further our Christian growth, right? We are to submit to the gospel, and then we are to preach the gospel. So what is the evidence, then, of us doing this properly? What is the proof that we are being obedient to this command? Verse 22 plays into that. Prove yourselves to be doers of the word, but not hearers only. Because it says those that are merely hearers 
delude themselves. They lie to themselves. They deceive themselves. They are living in, in an illusion. So how is it that we can read the Word of God and then not obey it? If you read the Word of God and not obey it, then you are being hypocritical. You are being a liar. You are not being honest with yourself. You are being disobedient to your Master. What God's Word says, and we know full well what it says if we actually read the Scripture, we have to do what it says. The worst thing would be if you're a Christian and you never crack open your Bible. How are you supposed to know who God is and what he wants from you if you never look and find out? What if you never asked God in prayer what he wants from you? You would feel very lost, wouldn't you? You would not have any idea what you're to do with yourself. But praise God that he does give it to you. But that responsibility is thrust back to us. God has done his work in saving you, in bringing you this far, in implanting the word within you, giving you the Holy Spirit. But you got to give something too. You got to give your time, you got to give your energy, you got to give your desires, you got to give your body. You got to give everything that you are to the calling of Christ. We are to be doers of the word and not hearers who lie to themselves. What does it look like if we do lie to ourselves? He gives us a very good illustration of what that looks like, and I think we can all understand this to some degree. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. I think it's safe to say that we all have mirrors in our house, and we often look at ourselves when we're getting ready for the day, when we're getting dressed, when we're preparing to leave the house especially. We like to look at ourselves, see how we look. But then verse 24 throws this curveball. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked yourself in the mirror and then you immediately forgot what you looked like? Some of that sounds ridiculous, right? But so often we do look in the mirror, and we see ourselves, but then we don't pay attention to what's going on in the mirror. Or we simply just don't take the time to notice if there are any blemishes, if there are any changes, or we simply forgot what we looked like from day to day. How ridiculous does that sound? But what James is trying to say is that we deceive ourselves in this very way. If we looked at ourselves properly, we are children of God. We have been saved by the grace of God through the death and glory of Jesus Christ. We are people who have been chosen out of the world to fulfill a holy purpose. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. We are sojourners on this earth. We are people that are most peculiar compared to everybody else. So how is it that we can look at ourselves in light of what God tells us we are, and then we forget? We simply just forget that we are Christians in the way that we act, the way that we think, the way that we insert our will into things. How often do we dishonor God in this way? How often we forget the 
weight of being a Christian, the cost of being a Christian in pursuit of what we want? How often do we disgrace ourselves in God's sight by how we act towards other human beings? Again, I'm saying all this being completely guilty of all these things too, so I'm not saying I'm any better than you. I am doing those things actively too. But this is why this section of Scripture is so vital to our walk with God. Because if we can't control ourselves, if we don't take our faith seriously, we just think this is some religious habit, and it's if we want to do it or not, then we are completely wrong in that assessment. We have to be people who are obedient to God's Word all the time. Because it should mean something to us. It should have great significance in what motivates us, and understanding the reality that we should be living by this word, because this very word is what is saving your soul from eternal damnation. Really, what more of a reason do we need to obey God? We shouldn't need any other motivation. So why do we keep lying to ourselves and creating this illusion that we can do what we please? This is why James says we are to be people of humility, people of submission people who are humble. Because if we put any pride into being a Christian, then we are going about it the wrong way. So we are to not look at ourselves and then immediately forget where we've come from, who we serve, and what God has planned for us. We should not be deviating from that path. So he gave that example to show what it looks like to be a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. Think about going to church on Sunday. We go, we act nice with everyone, we go to Sunday school, we read the Bible a little bit, you go to church and sing before God, you listen to the sermon at hand, then you walk out those doors at the end, and you will have not changed at all. Nothing resonated with you. Nothing penetrated your stubborn mind. That's exactly what he's trying to illustrate here. But then he gives what it really should look like. Verse 25. But, as in a contrast statement here, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, so we look intently, meaning we are choosing to look carefully at the perfect law, which there's only one thing that is perfect, and that's God. Therefore, the law of God, not our laws, not the laws of man, not our personal creeds, but the law of God, which is also the law of liberty. It is what has caused you to be free, free from sin, free from death, free from unrighteousness. If we look carefully at the word of God and at the gospel that has saved us, and we abide by it, meaning that we live with it, we carry it alongside us, meaning that it is fully integrated into our lives, in our mindsets, in our motivations, and we don't become forgetful hearers, but an effectual doer, meaning that we are not hearing God's word and choosing to ignore it, but instead we are actively doing what it says, and it's effective. And trust me, it will be effective if you are obeying God. 
That is why it says that being an effectual doer will cause you to be blessed in what you do. And that term, being blessed in all that you do, the Greek is using that for every activity that you perform. Everything you do will be blessed if you are doing this. So we are called to be effectual doers of the word. So let's explore a couple of things that this word is for us. It is everything that you need, the Word of God. The Word of God is everything that you need. There is nothing in the Bible that is lacking for your ability to be a Christian. There is nothing that is lacking to teach you the reality of life, as well as the applications of God's wisdom in our daily lives. There is nothing lacking. It is sufficient and it is perfect. And we should be fully convinced of that by what we have experienced on our own, plus what the Word of God tells us itself, that it is completely sufficient, and that it is everything that you possibly need. So let's be clear. By not being an effectual doer, you are choosing not to be an effectual doer. You can't claim ignorance anymore. You have come to a knowledge of God if you understand this. And therefore, if you choose not to follow this, you are making the decision to not follow this. You cannot claim ignorance on this. I'm sorry. You cannot claim that you're not trained enough or that I haven't been a Christian long enough. The command is very simple, right? Obey what God says and do nothing else. Do not try to do things your way. Do things God's way. Do not forget where you came from as a sinner and where God has led you to this point. Do not forget what it means to be a Christian. It is not just a religious title. It is a relational reality that you are a changed human being that is not like the world and that you are called to a holy calling with eternal implications. So this is where a lot of us will struggle. And if we could conquer this piece of scripture, we will be unstoppable. And as he alludes to at the beginning here, there's only one way to be successful in this endeavor, and that is through obedience to this word, right? So we choose to be obedient, and therefore we do everything it says. We listen to everything God has for us to say, We develop our relationship with him through prayer, and we choose to spend time in God's word daily. If we can do those things, we will look more and more like this person who is an effectual doer and not just a hearer. We will look like people who are quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We will look like people who are putting aside all filthiness. We will be killing all the wickedness that is within us. We will be receiving the word humbly, and therefore proving that we are doers of the word. And you can fool everyone, but there is one person that you can never fool, and that is God. And that is the person that you need to prove it to. So choose today 
to be a doer of the word and not simply a hearer. Those who love their Lord will do this. And if you are struggling with this as a Christian, to being obedient to this, that's because there's something you're holding on to you're not supposed to be holding on to. There's something that is in direct conflict with your relationship with God that is dragging you away from Him instead of to Him. Pray. Spend time meditating on what that is. And you probably know already what it is. Discard that thing. Get rid of it. Remove it from your life. It's not worth it, man. It's not worth it, woman. God's way is superior in all ways, better than you can ever imagine. Trust that God is sufficient, and trust that He will lead you into everything that He wants you to be. It does say elsewhere in Scripture that what He has started in you, He will see to completion. And don't ever forget that. God has declared you worthy of his glory, of his presence, of his honor and his grace. So let's live like that. Give everything you are to God and give him nothing less. And with that, everyone else around will know that you are an effectual doer of the word, and you will be blessed in everything that you do. And with that, I think this is a good stopping place for today. I hope you enjoyed this lesson. I know I certainly did, not because I like hearing myself talk, which if you've listened to previous episodes of mine, you know I don't like my own voice. But I do love this piece of scripture because this is where I struggle the most. And so this is a good refresher for me, and this is something that I need to put action to immediately in all areas of my life, all the time. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time. Take care and God bless you.